Welcome to the World in Her Words podcast, where we inspire women to take control of their careers through sharing strategies, expert advice, and inspirational stories. I'm your host, Aisha, and today I'm joined by two very special ladies, Manal Mehta and Oyin Talabi. So Manal is a managing consultant at IBM, and she also co-leads IBM's UK BAME employee network, which promotes diversity in tech, and it reaches over 40,000 employees. Wow. She has also been recognized in the Empower Ethnic Minority Future Leaders list for three years in a row and as a technology and digital finalist in the 2019 Asian Women of Achievement Awards. She's also currently working on launching an app that uses AI to enhance neurologic music therapy. So that was quite a lot, Manal, but welcome to the show (laughs) and thank you for joining. (laughs) Thank you for the introduction. Nice to be here. Oyen is an energy engineer at Buru Hapold. She focuses on developing energy strategies for new and existing developments using low and zero carbon technology. She is passionate about sustainability and energy and has experience in developing energy plans and techno-economic models of low carbon energy and infrastructure systems. Now, Oyen is also an advocate for diversity in engineering and making it accessible to all. She co-founded Bureau Happel's Inclusion and Diversity Group, which is called FAIR, and FAIR stands for Fairness, Awareness, Inclusion, and Respect. Welcome to the show, Oyen. Thank you, Aisha. Really good to be here. So, Manal and Oyen, you're both very intelligent and accomplished women working in pretty male-dominated fields. What are some of the common issues that you face, and do you have any funny stories for us? So, let's start with you, Oyen. Any funny stories? The one I can think of, and this happened when I worked at an oil refinery. Well, actually, there's two of them. My first day, someone came up to me and he was like, oh, I saw an email about you being introduced, but I didn't expect to be a woman. <laughs> well, I am, so okay, don't really know what to do with that. One thing that always happened when I went out on the refinery was kind of go past and then people do like a double take and then turn around and they're like, wait, what? Is that a woman? <laughs> and that happens so many times. You just come to just like accept that you're like, okay, fine, <laughs> this is going to happen. But yeah, those are, I guess in my current job, actually, I don't have as many funny stories, but I guess in terms of issues you face, I feel like generally with jobs in engineering or speaking with like other women, one thing that always happens is when you get your job, sometimes you're like, oh, did I get that because I was female or was it because I was black or did I get it because I was qualified? And you sometimes doubt yourself. A lot of that comes from, I guess, other people doubting you as well. So, for example, when I got one of my jobs, I remember someone at university actually coming up to me and said, oh, actually, well, so he interviewed for the job as well. And he he pretty much said, well, I mean, I didn't really expect them to give it to two black engineers. And if they were to choose between me and you, he was also black. Of course, they're going to choose you. Wow. Sorry, it has nothing to do with my grades or my interview. Just the fact that I'm female and black. Okay. So things like that are some of the issues I think women still face in engineering as a whole. And there's also that expectation that sometimes you'll be the one to organize events or you'll be the one to take the notes and all those things. And you're like, actually, no, thank you. Yeah, set those boundaries. And it's really interesting that he would think that you got the role because you're a woman in a male-dominated field because surely he's more likely to get the role because he's a man. And actually, the fact that you've got the role probably means you are really, really good. I mean, you hope so, but I 
think a lot of people tend to think, well, with, with a lot of companies, they want to fill some kind of quota. So they want to have this amount of female engineers, this amount of black engineers, but it is not usually the case. And a lot of times it just has to do with the fact that, well, she, she's great and she did amazingly in the interview and they like her. Yeah. And even if the company is trying to fill in a quota, they're filling it with people who are great at their jobs. They also happen to be black and female or whatever other group it is. So in terms of assertion, so one thing that I hear women often talk about is they're worried about asserting themselves because they don't want to come across, you know, as bossy or the other B word, which I'm not going to say because it's rude. (laughs) But how do you sort of assert yourself, Manal? And, you know, when if you've received sort of like negative comments, how do you sort of respond to those? Yeah, I think that's been one of probably the biggest learning points in my career, because I think when I started off as a grad, I would have been too afraid or lacked the confidence to have spoken up for myself and to have stood up for what I believe in and, and back up my opinions or thoughts. So I would have felt or been made to feel inferior or not good enough, which although sometimes now might still happen and there have been cases, I think I've now learned and I've developed to actually take that as a challenge and prove myself and kind of give myself the credibility, but in different clever ways, you know, making the point without having to explicitly say it out loud. And it's learning to, you know, sometimes it's standing up for yourself, but that doesn't necessarily mean being really vocal about it sometimes it's you know finding ways to make a point and get your point across and show your credibility I think when you can really prove yourself and people see that value that's the best way to shut them up and I think it's that confidence and that how that has grown is what is really key but I wouldn't have done it without mentors as well that's the biggest thing for me in terms of how I learned to navigate these negative comments it was just like having someone who I could speak to at work to help get me through that. That's a great point, Manal. And this is why I love that it's three of us. See, I'm the complete opposite. I'm very direct. I just address it head on. As I've gotten older, I've uh, toned it down a little bit. But I, I still usually go the direct approach. How about you, Oyen? How do you sort of assert yourself? How do you respond to negative comments? Yeah, a lot of it has to do with confidence and self-confidence. So usually if I want to say, and I mean, a lot of this happens when I'm in like meetings where there's literally all guys or all directors and then you're there thinking, oh gosh, I'm the only grad or I'm the only engineer. So sometimes you don't want to speak in those situations, but what I found helps me is just thinking through what I'm about to say before I say it. And then that way it means that I'm more confident when I do say it and my voice comes out a lot clearer. So thinking through what I'm about to say, saying it anyways. Also, I find that you shouldn't usually need to raise your voice. But sometimes you do, depending on who your audience is, right? So I think if you do, don't be afraid to do it. To get them to listen. I mean, once they're listening, you don't need to skip shouting, right? But kind of make sure that everyone is listening to you. But you also need to just gauge your audience. I think that's really important. Also, it's okay to be wrong because what I find is that a lot of times the reason why I don't say things is because I don't I don't want to be wrong. It's, it's fine to be wrong. Just accept it, learn from it and move on. It shouldn't really stop you from talking going forward, I think. And putting yeah. myself in really uncomfortable situations has helped me because I learn from those experiences. So I'm not always comfortable when I join a client meeting. But it means that the next time I do it, it's a lot easier. So that's kind of how I've learned to set myself in the workplace, I think. In terms of negative comments, I try to use most opportunities as a 
way to educate people. So I was like, this is a great time to educate you about something. So when I get a negative <laughs> comment, I mean, usually I just try to keep calm. It's not always easy, but I try to keep calm because I know that once I'm not calm, I, I tend to not really know what I'm saying or I don't come out as clearly as I want to. So try to keep calm and try to just educate whoever is negative comment when I can. But also, I think there's something about taking it away and speaking or thinking about it. And then going back to the person saying, oh, can we, can we have a chat late, like later on to talk about this? Because that also helps you kind of think about the points you want to raise. Also, it helps you think about, well, where did this comment come from and how do I address it? And is there something you learned from me as well? So it was a negative comment, but actually, was it true, maybe? So taking it away sometimes also kind of helps. Not always, but sometimes. Yeah, it's not what you say, but how you say it, which I think is really important in this topic. And I know that now as well, like I'm always a lot more conscious before just speaking directly. I, I like have to take a step back and just think of like four key things that a wise man once taught me, which was pitch, pause, pace and tone. And if I just now like think about those four things and how I'm saying something and the effect it can have, it's just amazing how words can be just interpreted and, and come across in different ways. Yeah. I like what you said about taking a pause to sort of reflect on what you say. But then I also think what you mentioned about not speaking up because you're afraid of making a mistake. So I think, yeah, I think those two points together are great because, you know, we don't want people to just never speak because they're spending time reflecting, right? But you're right. You can always come back to the conversation as well. Yeah. So one thing I, I just randomly remembered was when you talked about, you know, sort of flexing how you speak depending on the audience. I remember this lady I was speaking with. So she came from a different culture and she was saying how when she came to, you know, work in the US, for example, what she found was, you know, people would speak up in meetings, interrupt each other. And that was normal. She was shocked. She was like, oh, my goodness. You know, these people are all very loud. They're all interrupting each other. She said what she realized was if she kept waiting for her turn to speak, which is the case in her culture, she would never get to speak. So she started interrupting them as well. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. Those cultural differences are just, they're amazing, aren't they? Because I've worked abroad quite a fair bit. And it's always, I kind of forget how everyone has their different ways of working. And then when you go into the office, even from lift etiquette, it's like, you know, you get into a lift here in the UK, and it's just like, look away, look away, do not make eye contact. And then in France, it's just an instant bonjour. You know, they're saying they're actually talking to you. No, I had that. So, I mean, growing up, I guess in the Nigerian culture, there is there's this thing about respect, which is obviously great. But then when I started working, actually, I was, well, not complete opposite, but I was kind of quiet. So in like project meetings, I just thought, OK, I don't have anything to say. I'm too young to actually have anything valuable. So I'm just going to sit down, take all the notes. Literally, I was writing notes all the time. And my first feedback with my line manager, I remember he said, well, Oyen, why are you always so quiet? Like, I know you have the points because after the meeting, you come up to me and you're like, oh, we could do this and this. But you just never mention it during the meetings. Like, why Why is that? And I realized it was something to do with how I was brought up, like how I was brought up to just like respect whoever was speaking or like whoever was more senior as opposed to actually letting them know my views and I think I took that on and what I tried to do is in meetings I tried to speak or sometimes it was just confirming what someone said but at least I was like putting myself in an uncomfortable position where I was speaking 
but that really helped because now in meetings it's like okay I can speak without really thinking about it where before I would literally have to like practice like 500 times what I wanted to say before I said it so yeah that cultural difference is just so important but also I think there is something about working with different people in your office and trying to understand the difference in cultures so you can then appreciate another person's culture if you know about it right so some people say well I come across really loud well actually maybe in my culture that's how most people speak so I'm not loud it's just how I speak so yeah definitely I think especially when you're working in teams understanding everyone is different right and that is all part of inclusion right it's not just about the physical characteristics it's about understanding how everyone operates and and how you can sort of relate with them so Speaking of teams, both of you have, you know, worked with teams, you know, led on projects or worked in project teams. So a uh, question for you, Manal, how do you sort of approach leading a team or a project? Yeah, so carrying on from that point, for me, it's all about building diverse teams. And I think the way IBM is structured as well, I've worked with global teams. So we have our offshore teams. We also have a lot of development resources in like Czech Republic, Slovakia. I'm working on a project which also has a client in the US. So it's the challenge of time zones, but it's also kind of coordinating that diversity and making it come together. And I think it comes down to my leadership style and how I can you know, bring teams together from different regions, backgrounds, etc., influence them and see the results in terms of how we can become a way more creative team innovate a lot more we have a lot more ideas brought to the table and when I compare it to teams I've been in before which is where majority of people all look and sound the same and all from the same background you just don't get that it's just you just don't see it so for me that's something that's really key to you know embrace that diversity celebrate it and encourage everyone to bring that to the work we do day to day. Okay, great. Thank you Manal. And what about you Oyen? How do you sort of approach leading teams and projects? So in terms of my projects to start with, I think understanding what the client's drivers are and the objectives is just really important because what I've sometimes found is I've done like loads of work on this project and then you go back and you're like, actually, what was I meant to be doing on this? Like I've created an amazing project, but has it actually answered any of the client's question? So understanding the objectives and drivers is really important to just set the scene to start with but also just setting out the aims of the project. So everything from what your fee is to how much time can you actually spend on the project? What do you need to do in terms of task and who needs to do it? And what are your key deliverables and dates? So setting like milestones throughout the project so you can tick things off in a sense and also allowing enough time for reviewing things at the end. So I feel like communicating that to the team to start with is really important because that way everyone knows what they're doing, when they need to do it by, and how much time they can actually book to the project. Because you also don't want one person that's like designing this amazing energy center, but all you had to do was like put one boiler plant in and that was it. That's how I generally lead projects. Okay. And in terms of when you first start out with the project plan, are there any particular tools that you use, Excel, and there's all these cool tools for project planning these days what do you sort of use what are your tools 
to be honest, I'm very simple with these things. I probably should do more. I used to have something called Mind Manager, which I think was used to be really good at like planning projects and like making like flow maps and all of that. But I'm, I've not used that in ages. I just use Excel. It's like the simple way, but I just pretty much set out what needs to be done, the subtasks as well, set out data I want to achieve them by and share that with the team and then kind of say this is where you come in and this is where you come in and this is what's like dependent on your work stream so make sure you're delivering on time so excel is what i mainly use but in terms of like communicating with my team we tend to use microsoft team so we have a team's channel where you have the conversation going which is really helpful actually because it means that you don't have to wait for the next project catch-up call which could be in a week's time you could just put whatever you want on the team's chat and then someone could reply and you could have a one-on-one call with the person you need if you want to so those are generally what i use i think good so sort of still staying communicated until the next catch-up so yeah that's really cool and you know what even if you just use excel it works right sometimes the simple option is the best option and you know you have to see what works best for the team and if that's what works for the team then hey that's good yeah i agree as well i think there's almost too many tools out there and you have to just find what works best for you and then just kind of like stick to that core one or two and I think there's also that risk of you spending forever planning the project and just not like doing the project. So yeah. you spend like three weeks making this amazing map and then you're like, oh, okay, now I have another month to do it. Oh, great. So quick and effective also sometimes is the way to go. Yeah, I'm actually reading this book. It's called Scrum. So it's actually written by Jeff Sutherland, I think is his name. So he he found he started Scrum and one of the things he talks about in the book is how companies spend all this time actually planning the project when actually the project isn't going to go according to the plan and what they need to just do is, you know, spend as little time as possible planning and then just keep reiterating. So yeah, there, there is something to be said for that. But what about you, Manal? What's, what's sort of your approach to, you know, what methods do you use in terms of projects and do you have any tools that you highly recommend? Yeah, I think so to Oyen's point, I'm I'm just too lazy to try and like build plans. I just can't do it. I don't have the patience. But what I do like is things like Mural. I don't know if either of you have used Mural before, but it's an online tool where you can, they have like templates on there. So you can actually, you know, already just unlock all of the elements. And then it's got like digital sticky notes and different emoticons and things like that. So you can build like a digital project plan which actually looks visually appealing, like loads of different colours and things like that. Like whoever I'm working with can actually access that as well. So it's an online collaboration tool, but it's something really easy to use. And then that's something that, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time getting your head around or setting something up. It's just kind of ready to go. Love that. You've mentioned templates and colours, two of my favourite things. All right. So in terms of any methods, you are you into Agile or Scrum or anything like that? I do use Agile and I use Scrum. I think for me, again, going back to the point of how how I lead my teams and things like that, it's a lot of, you know, fast delivery, fast paced type of work where we just have to get on and do it. And we just have to deliver whatever we're delivering, which kind of works well because we then were doing it in like two week sprints. So We will have a bit of functionality agreed and then we just kind of get on with that. And in terms of how I how I lead and and influence my teams, it is very agile in in the sense it's very autonomous. My teams are very like self-sufficient. They just get on with it and 
you know, they're not kind of, I don't check in with them every two minutes, you know, that I can just leave them to get on with it. So that kind of hybrid agile scrum approach works quite well. Awesome. And I just realized we've jumped into talking about agile and scrum, but haven't bothered to explain it. Can you explain what is agile? What is scrum for people who are listening? Yeah, sure. So I think if we start with agile, so this is used a lot in kind of software development and it's about that fast paced delivery. So being able to deliver solutions in kind of short sprints, i.e. like and sprints can be in, in terms of weeks so that you're building incrementally to get to the end project. The benefit of it is that you can build something, play it back, get kind of the buy in from you know your stakeholders. And then if you need to tweak it, if you need to adjust it or whatever, then that's kind of easy enough to do. You've got the feedback and the time, which saves money in the long run to be able to do that. And I guess Scrum, on the other hand, is more around the processes behind it, which is why I kind of say a hybrid. I've probably explained it really badly, but that's what I mean when day to day I use it as a hybrid. (laughs) Because Scrum is kind of like the ceremonies you have, the meetings you have, the processes you have to underpin that delivery cycle. Thank you. And you know what? Somebody has probably invented a name for the merging of the two. We just don't know what it is. But for folks listening in, feel free to have a look on Google. There's so many articles explaining the difference between the two. YouTube is amazing. There's probably someone with some really great video who's who's walked through it. And if you figure out what the hybrid between Agile and Scrum is, feel free to let us know. Thank you both. And when you're working with teams, what would you say are of the behaviors that drive the best outcomes. So Oyen, you mentioned earlier about, you know, just checking in with folks before meetings, even if it's over IM, just sort of keeping those lines of communication open. So Minel, what are some of the best behaviors that you think that drive good outcomes when you're running a project? Especially now when we're in, you know, pandemic, people working from home, having flexibility is key. Being able to adapt to different situations, being mindful of, you know, everyone has their own situation. So if they need to take time out, if they need to adjust their working hours or day, then ensuring everyone feels comfortable and we have the flexibility within the team to allow them to do that. Because I know I've I've had like regular check-ins or retrospectives is what we call it, where after we've built or like we delivered a key thing, we have a kind of team get together to reflect on what went well and what didn't go well. And having those open forums has enabled, you know, my various team members to actually voice how they feel. And me as a leader or project manager can then be empathetic to those changes. And having that trust, I guess, and that empathy is something that helps to drive better outcomes absolutely i think yes when you trust people they will usually rise up to the occasion and i also like what you said earlier about not sort of micromanaging people because when you give them that flexibility i think i've read multiple studies that talk about how when you give people autonomy at work they actually deliver better results so i think that's a really good shout all right what about you oyen what are your thoughts aside from making sure you're iming and so on do you have any other thoughts on that I think communication is definitely the key one. Nothing really beats that. But I guess in terms of also just driving best outcomes, thinking about like the client and the users and consumers of whatever you're making, I think putting them at the center of your design is just really important. Because sometimes we, well, in my job anyways, I tend to do a lot of textbook design. So that's how it says to do it in the standard. And then you just do it and don't really think about what the effect is long term. 
but thinking about who you're designing for and bringing that into your design I think is really important also creating time for people to also innovate because sometimes you're just like oh okay I have a really small fee on this I just want you to do it as quickly as possible and deliver but then also it means that a lot of people are not better delivered project as a whole yeah definitely you need to give people time to breathe when I was in uni when I was doing my master's I I did this uh, particular course and in one of the classes the professor brought this man who was an artist and this was a business class by the way and we all had to paint I mean I like painting so it wasn't so bad but I think at the end of the class, you know, he he got us to take a step back from our paintings. And what he said to us was, you know, how does it look when you're closer to it? And it was kind of like, well, when you're so close to it, it looks completely different. And he was like, okay, so now that you step back, how does it look? I was like, yeah, it looks completely different. And his whole point was, you know, in business and when you're working, you need to sometimes take a step back to be able to actually see the vision clearly. When you're too close to it, sometimes your vision is clouded and yeah, that that somehow stayed with me. Um, and it's a, I just thought it was a really cool story to share as well. A really good example. Sounds like a really fun class. We did something similar actually, but using Lego, which obviously as a kid you like you use all the time, and that's like the fun aspect of it. But when you're you know you're driving your career and everything, and you get told right you're doing a training course, but you're going to be building Lego, you're kind of like what what? But it was exactly that. It was about thinking about things in different ways, and we kind of. It kind of said build a bird or like build a model bird and in your head you're like oh no but it has to be perfect it has to look like a bird and I can't do it and you're like panicking yourself but actually it's not about that it's just completely open to interpretation and it's just about you know seeing things in different ways which I thought was a really creative way of approaching it. I feel like as we've gotten older we've just stepped away from all these things we used to do as children you know lego painting all of those things and we need to get back to those things because actually they make life fun plus we could learn a thing or two I think it would be so fun if you can get children to like create a workshop for adults and just see what they come up with and you have to do whatever they say Yeah because they're so creative I feel like as you age you just get less creative Great so the million dollar question. So a lot of women struggle with saying no. And obviously when you're leading a team, when you're leading projects, you will have to say no sometimes, right? So I want to know, how do you both approach saying no? And we can start with you, Oyen. I bet you do it with a smile on your face. That's actually something I haven't really struggled with. But I feel like when I'm saying no, there's a good reason for why I'm saying no. Usually it has to do with time more than anything so I just try to state that very clearly in my response like this is the reason like no I can't do it but actually this is the reason why I can't do it but also I think it's usually quite good to suggest an alternative where possible whether that is suggesting someone else that may have capacity to do it or suggesting to speak to so for example if it was a case of another project manager wanted me to work on their project telling them to speak to my project manager and see if they can work something out between themselves and kind of prioritize my project maybe but also thinking is there is this something like another team that's not the energy team they can take on or is it something that someone else can take on where I supervise them so they're doing all the work but I'm just kind of reviewing it I think the benefit of giving an alternative is that one they know that you would like to help if you could also you also don't get missed out on future opportunities it's not just oh Oyen always says no so I'm not gonna think about her for this it's a case of well actually if she could help she probably would have so 
Yeah, that's a good shout. So basically, I can't do it, but maybe that person can. Thanks, Owen. And how about you, Manal? I think Owen's hit the nail on the head with that. I also would say I don't struggle with saying no, and it comes down to saying no a lot. No, I'm joking. It's always asking those questions like, could someone else be better placed to do it? Or is there something that is higher priority for in this instance, given where we're at? And finding that alternative way and coming up with a solution is kind of a more effective way of saying, you know, just blank right out no. And it comes down to the point we were talking about earlier, I think, as well, thinking about how we say things and using being mindful of the tone we use. Definitely, definitely. You know, you say when you say no a lot, it gets easier and you laughed, but it's true. Yeah. One thing I find is sometimes I don't even use the word no. So, you know, say, for example, someone messages me and says, hey, you know, can we have a meeting today at three to talk about this thing that isn't really urgent, but for some reason you think it's urgent, even though it's not. So I wouldn't say, no, I can't speak at three. I'll say I can speak tomorrow at five. So that way I'm not saying no, but I'm telling you when I can actually speak. I found that works quite well. Hopefully none of my colleagues listen to this. No, I think that's good, actually, because that way, um, I think when people, to be honest, I actually don't think I say no as such. I, it's such a strange word to me. Just the N-O falls up. There's something else you can say to kind of cushion the blow. <laughs> I guess so. Might as well do it. I tend to save no for, for the extremes. You know, like when you keep telling them and they're not getting it, then it's like, okay, no, I'm saying no now. My last question for both of you. So how do you stay organized on top of your work? What is, what is the magic secret? Let's start with you, Manal. What's your magic secret? My magic secret is really boring, but it gets me through the week. And it's literally just about each week starting off by just planning everything out. Because I'm someone who cannot deal with last minute stress and I need to like stay on top of things that are coming my way and kind of anticipating potential things as well. So to do that, I have to kind of from like Monday morning, log in, check my emails, make sure I've got a clear inbox and I'm, I'm, you know, well aware of the meetings and things I have to do that day so that I can plan out what I need to do. But I think it's also about blocking time in my calendar, especially now when I think adjusting to working from home all the time. I definitely in the first half of lockdown was kind of working mad hours because I just could not tell what time it was. I was just so like head down and stuff that I had no idea, you know, like how long I'd actually been working for. But just blocking time in my diary for just an hour for lunch or you know time like breaks in my calendar where people can't put time in has helped have that like time away as well but still make sure I get through the things I need to do absolutely love that you said boring I thought efficient great how about you Oyen what's your secret to be honest I have the same secret as me now having a diary where I had my days I haven't had my evenings it sounds sad but Before I moved to London, I used to find it strange when I would say, oh, can I meet up with you? And then my friend would be like, oh, I just need to check my diary to see if I'm free. And what? Why is your life so planned? But now that I moved to London, I just realized time gets booked up so quickly. Like you have dinner with a friend and then dinner with someone else and you just have a full week. So sometimes I go five days where I have something after work every day, whether it's meeting people or even going to like a conference or going to a talk, like time just gets used up so quickly. So having some kind of diary where I can plan my time, I found really useful. It also means I don't get stressed about forgetting things because I was like, okay, I have this book or online diary where I can do everything. 
but also I think taking time out for yourself is so important I find that a lot of people want to like book like talk during lunch time and it's like no at no point do I want to listen to a walk talk during lunch it doesn't help me relax but having a break whether that's listening to music running exercise whatever helps you to just like relax um rewind and kind of have time to yourself I think is just so important and then you can come back and do what else you had to do for the day the last thing I would say just not saying yes to everything it's so and I guess it goes back to the first or the other question about saying no it's so easy for you to just want to say yes but also I think yourself an objective or different objectives that you want to achieve and trying to tailor what you say yes to is really important because that way you know that you're actually achieving some of the things you want to achieve as, as opposed to you just kind of saying yes I can do that yes I can do that yeah after a while you just get burnt out I think yeah for sure I feel like using your calendar and your diary is like peak adulthood. I was the same, like I was not prepared for this. Now I'm the diary lady. If you tell me something and it's not in my diary, it's just not going to happen. But you know, it's so funny because on the flip side, I feel like, like owing to your point, I would have so many things in the diary, like after work, that I found myself actually planning when to have weekends off rather than putting things in the diary. Yeah, and even evenings off. So sometimes I'll look in my calendar and I'm like, okay, I need to have at least like two evenings for myself. When it gets to the point where it's like, you know, when you look at it and it's it's a full on week, then it's like, okay, what do I need to cancel? I'm seeing a theme with all of us. The diary, absolutely, you know, non-negotiable. The other thing is I also plan my my days in advance. So I actually do mine on Fridays. So Manal, you said you do yours Mondays. So I do mine on Fridays and then I plan the whole week in advance. And to your point, Oyen, about saying no. Yeah, saying no to things that drain your time. I'm actually reading this book. It's called The 4-Hour Work Week, And he, he has a whole chapter where he goes into this about, you know, how to avoid people wasting your time. I mean, some of the things he's suggesting are a bit interesting. So like, saying no to all meetings for like a week and seeing how it goes uh, a bit radical I don't think I'm there yet but yeah a good book <laughs> I also like what you said about hobbies Owen because I think that's so important so back to my point about the big kid activities and leaving those behind like I feel like as adults you know having hobbies is so key you know beyond just like going to the pub right like what is your thing I have a friend who's picked up sewing and I think it's so cool you know my sister paints for example I started learning how to skate in the summer and those things that just help you sort of switch off it's all about taking that step back even when you're like really really busy having those moments where you can just switch off away from work I think that actually makes you a more productive person don't you think yeah no I completely agree it's how I kind of can then come back and focus because I find that if I just work all through the day by like three o'clock I'm just thinking oh my god my productivity has reduced so much I just don't know what I'm, what I'm doing anymore but just having that break at least 30 minutes if you could do the full hour then that's great just to do something for yourself sometimes I just like watch tv it's not the best thing because you're looking at another screen but it just helps me switch off from whatever i was doing and it means that when i come back to it that i can kind of look at it with fresh eyes and everything makes sense again definitely definitely okay thank you so much ladies it's been really a pleasure to have you on the show Uh, i feel like the time has whizzed by (laughs) and thank you for sharing your wisdom as well thank you thank you so much